Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. It's so great to be with all of you today. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your content. And please be sure to follow us on social media at Breast Cancer Conversations. For those of you who tune in each week, it's great to have you back. I feel compelled to provide you with as much information, support, and resources as I can through our show, interviews, and my own personal experience with breast cancer. The interviews and connecting with all of you, our listeners and audience, is the fun part. But there is a lot of sweat and joy that come from the relentless hours of post-production and editing that we do each week to bring our podcast to life. My heart and soul could not be more passionate and committed each week to delivering inspiration, hope, and support. That's why I've decided to make the decision to partner with Podigy to help with the back end of editing. If you have a podcast or are thinking about starting one, I highly recommend them. They are super easy to work with, they provide great advice and customer support, and they offer our listeners 25% off your first month when you mention our podcast, Breast Cancer Conversations. We know cancer takes a village, and I'm glad to have Podigy part of our support team. Hey everyone, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to give you guys some updates about what's going on at SBC. If you hop over to survivingbreastcancer.org, you will see we have a whole new section for members. I would like to invite you for this awesome opportunity. It's 100% free to sign up, join, and become a member. We're building out our virtual patient care platform. There are a variety of ways to engage, build out your profile, engage in discussion boards, questions, groups, etc. So please hop on over to survivingbreastcancer.org, select for members, and join. Let me know what you think, and please provide feedback. We're always here in the beta phase of like testing and giving updates and making recommendations. So we would love to hear from you. Okay, so let's dive right in. Welcome to the conversation. Yeah, it's so nice to finally chat with you. This is oh, way long overdue. Lovely, honestly. Um, my name is Grace Charrier. I'm Nigerian, West African. I'm a social entrepreneur. I'm an activist in various fields. Before I got cancer, I was actually um, a peace ambassador at the UN. I was given that award for being one of the voices trying to stem the, the violence, you know, religious issues that are going on in Nigeria. We have the fanatism, you know, the Boko Haram, which I'm sure you, you must have learned about and all that. So I was invited to several high, high table events with government to try and seek ways to kind of um, consolidate all these events that were spilling out from the seams. Fast forward, I was, um, well, even before then, um, for me to... All that I do now is as a result of my background, because um, my dad was a diplomat here, even at the United Nations. My mom was um, the chartered secretary, um, public servant. So all these kind of their skills and I think exposure kind of um, prepared me for what I'm doing today. So seamlessly, so to speak, I was diagnosed with cancer in late 2016, and it wasn't the usual 
symptoms and all that, I didn't have any pain or whatever. What happened was that um, I usually do grassroots um, events for women in the underserved uh, communities. And this time it had to do with fibroids, uterine fibroids. So I was in the villages, you know, in the satellite towns, trying to let women know that um, if you have uh, your period that is more than five days continuously and excessive bleeding and everything, you have to make sure to go see um, a health um, official. But you see, going to a health official, these women didn't have money because as you go, you have to pay a consultation fee, you have to buy drugs, you have to. So all that kind of narrowed them down. They didn't even have sanitary pads. And so a lot of times I was going with, all, you know, for sanita- water and sanitation, myself and my team, we, I put together um, quite a, a good number of teams to be able to reach all these ladies and also bring their husbands on board. Because sometimes the women were not even telling their husbands exactly what was going on. It was a woman thing. So why bother the guys? You understand? But I was like trying to make sure that the husbands or the the, the spouse, I mean, the uh, significant partners saw that there was a problem that these women were shy or to talk about or not just wanting to bother them because of what was considered a woman thing, if you know what I mean. Exactly. And um, it went well, um, got the media, got the, the politicians to key into it and um, supporters and everything. So after this, because it took me around the country and everything, one, one morning I was about to come back to the States. And so one morning I asked my, co- usually when I'm coming back, I get a lot of African gifts and everything for friends and foodstuffs and dried foodstuffs and all that. So I asked my nieces and nephews to go get me some things at the market, the usual things that I usually, and they left. And um, I said, okay, let me step into the bathroom and do my facial, you know, relax, listen to some jazz and all that. Got into the bathroom and um, I remember running the shower and that was the last thing I remembered. I woke up to find myself on the ground with my cousins and everybody screaming. They had poured water all over me and everything. So on falling, I... I hit my head on the toilet seat. I almost, I almost lost this eye. I almost lost my right eye. It was a hor- horrible experience. So from there, straight to the hospital. And um, when we got to the hospital, the doctor said, oh, you know, your blood pressure is 170 over 110. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And they wanted to keep me um, at the hospital. So I said, no, I have to go home and everything. And they wanted to give me blood pressure tablets. And I was, I was um, going, going to have a stroke and all that. But knowing that I was going to come back to the United States, I didn't want to start taking drugs. I, I knew I would have to have something properly done. So fast forward, I came back to New York. And um, saw my PCP and my you ran several. And when I'm over fifty, so when you're over fifty, there are certain things that you have to do. So my my PCP said, when was the last time you did a colonoscopy? I hadn't. When was the last time you did this? I hadn't. So having a mammogram didn't even come into the mix. It didn't even come into the mix. So I was doing all those tests. Um, I had an echocardiogram. 
since uh, my BP was high, just to make sure that. But apparently this was happening because there was something else happening. Have you had a mammogram prior to? No, no, the last, no, I, I, I did have a mammogram years back, years back when my cousin was doing something, but you know, just had, I'm talking about like about seven, eight years prior to you know, my, my, my issue. And for us, we weren't properly advised that um, it's not until you have pains or secretions and all that, that you're in the clear. You understand? So that was, that was probably why, you know, I was kind of, um, I would say relaxed about the whole thing, you know. I thought that there was something else happening. Couldn't have been my breasts. Hey, my, my breasts, I didn't have any pain, nothing. So when um, this happened, I was walking out of his office uh, one of the days that I went to get my results, which were in the clear. The col- I had to do, of course, drinking a lot of fluids and all that for the colonoscopy and then going through it and having the results sent. Everything was fine. I wouldn't say perfect. I was asked to eat more vegetables, but fine. (laughs) I think most of us get that recommendation. (laughs) So um, he now said, when was the last time we had a mammogram? And I said, honestly, I can't remember some years back. So I said, immediately. And those mammograms, I, I had a mammogram twice, three times actually. And then he said, no, and nothing was found. It was inconclusive. And then um, finally, he now said, no, nope, we're going to have to send it to biopsy for biopsy because we don't want you going through a mammogram again because of the radiation and everything. So um, that was done. And that was one um, Sunday morning when the doctor should have been at home. He had to call me to say, listen, you have to come here straight away. And that was when I got my the results. And it was it was crazy. It was a mess. So how did they discover the mass though? Like, how did they know to do a biopsy, I guess? What they did was um, extract some tissue with a kind of syringe. I had to have a lot of those like uh, pricks, let's put it that way, from the area that they could see that there was a mass. They wanted to be sure because you see, it was there on the screen, like the sonogram. And they could see that, oh, there was, there was a mass. Okay. A lot of people have masses, but they're not malignant. They could be big cysts or something, you know, large cysts. Right. So with a biopsy, they had to like extract um, tissue and send it off. So it was when they did that, I was now called back. My doctor asked me to go back and they actually asked me to come back um, when the results were out. And that was when I was told that it was malignant and that it was cancer. Wow. So previously, if I'm understanding this correctly, it sounds like you've, you had mammograms previously, but they didn't notice any change. So therefore it was inconclusive, right? Exactly. And so because of this inconclusiveness, your one doctor then had the wherewithal to say, okay, well, there's still something there. Let's just test to make sure. Yes. And then that's when it came back. Yes. And, and also because you see, Nobody likes to hear that a result is inconclusive. It's like doing exams and you want your results in in school or lectures or whatever. And if the lecturer doesn't um, give you your results, they're like, hey, I worked hard for this. What's happening? Same thing. I couldn't sleep. I mean, um, it was worrisome because even for my doctor to say, I mean, this is worrisome. 
we need to know exactly what is happening. So you have to go for this biopsy because a lot of people, a lot of women I had met had told me, honestly, Grace, if I had heard inconclusive, I would have said, oh, that means that there's nothing really wrong. Right, exactly. You assume the best, right? Yes, you assume the best. So, but um, I'm happy that he was, he was on my case constantly to say, you have to go for a minimal evasive biopsy. It wouldn't hurt you. Just be a bit um, uncomfortable because they're going to use a lot of pinpricks and all that to extract tissue. And then we will be able to know exactly what's going on. So that's what happened. Wow. That sounds like a whirlwind. So you have this fall and then all of a sudden a series of tests. A fall, a broken. I mean, my pictures after the fall was, I looked like something from... um, one of these, uh, maybe Star Trek or something, <laughs> because I was blue black oh, all over. Sure. Yeah, it was it was crazy. We can laugh about it now, but then when you're going through all this, you're like, oh, okay, um, should I start putting my house in order? Um, what is happening? Yeah. Yes. So, what happened after you found out the results of your biopsy? Did you call family members or let people know? My daughter was um, with me. My daughter and I are together. Uh, and, and so when I got the call about the results that infamous and everything, call. <laughs> that call, I didn't tell her. We were busy, you know, like it was a Sunday morning. We just, you know, come back um, from church. And yeah, I love to listen to my classical music also. So I was like, and then um, she saw my phone ring, light up. And she said, oh, your phone is ringing and it's the doctor. And I'm like, the doctor. And then my heart, you know, missed 10 beats. Of course. Because I was like, on, on a Sunday, um, he couldn't wait till a Monday. And for me, that was like, oh, no. But I, I tried to stay calm. I said, okay. And she was like, well, call him back because it had, it had rung off. And I said, yeah, I'll call him back. I'll call him back. So she was on me. And I didn't want her to be around me when I was getting that, re- whatever result it was at that time. So um, I waited for her. She was supposed to go out. I waited for her to go out first. And then I called him back. And then he said, Miss Grace, you have to come and see me right now I'm in the office. So I said, right now. He said, yes, right now. Oh my gosh. So I didn't tell my daughter anything until I went that afternoon and um, went to see him. And when I went to see him, he he had already gotten some of his interns waiting for me because he wasn't sure what my reaction would be. Right. You understand? So to like, oh, okay, we don't know what's going to happen when we tell this lady. So when I went into his office, there were two interns on either side of me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, was, that was when I knew that this is not good. Right. Yeah. So when I came back after it was, I was told and and everything and I cried, first of all, in fact, I I went into shock. I didn't cry. I cried afterwards when I, when I came back home to tell my daughter and um, she went berserk and all that. And I said, listen, you know, calm down and all that. We'll see. I've been asked to see an oncologist. So I'll see an oncologist. And, um, my insurance, the first oncologist that was I was referred to, they didn't take my insurance. So that kind of elevated my fears and uh, 
really made me scared that, oh, my interventions were going to be delayed as a matter of my insurance and all that. So my doctor, God bless him, had to look for, and, and, and sometimes when God wants to arrange something good for you, he arranges something good for you. And I happened to be put together with one of the best oncologists here in New York uh, who accepted my insurance. And that was one thing off my chest that um, I think gave me hope because I needed to have hope that something was going to be done. Did that take a really long time to go from your initial like recommendation and then having to work with your insurance company and finding an alternative? It took like about... Um, six days. It wasn't that long, but to me, it was like six months. Oh, of course. That waiting period is the worst. Yes. It was like six days. Yes. About a week. Let's, Let's say it was about a week, but back and forth with my PCP and my insurance and we're now good to go. That was when the oncologist I was referred to, fantastic, um, guy who asked me to come in and see him because we needed to know what stage it was at before we knew what treatment or whatever to to follow. Sure. Wow. I know. I remember my oncologist, I don't think it was an oncologist, but the secretary or someone called and wanted to bring me in Monday morning at like 7.30 or 8 in the morning, like before the clinic opened, right? And they were doing like this special, not a special favor. I don't mean it in that way, but just like, this is so important. We're going to squeeze you in as soon as we possibly can, right? Yeah. And I'm like... Well, that's really nice of them. But then I'm like, but that can't be a good thing. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, I completely understand it to get that phone call on a Sunday and then to see your team immediately. Did you have any issues before then? Or was it like mine? You didn't um, have any symptoms? No, great question. So I had to advocate for getting a mammogram because I'm under 40. I'm still under 40, but I was under 40 when I was diagnosed at the age of 34. And Luckily, I noticed some changes in my chest because at the time I was working out, I was lifting weights, I was getting in shape. And I literally noticed like lifting weights in the mirror one day, one side was getting more developed than the other side. And I'm like, well, that's a little weird. Like I'm lifting weights on both sides and you know, I don't understand why some muscles are developing and others are not. And so I started to actually notice dimpling happening on my left side of my breast and was like, but you had to look for it, right? Like in certain positions when I moved, I was like, oh, there's a dimple. But now if I sit up straight, there's no dimple. Like, I'm not sure if it was like in my head or not in my head, but I was like, you could start to see some of these changes. So I was asking my primary care about it. There was no family history, my age, I being under 40, there was no risk, a high risk. And again, the fact that you had to like really look to see if there were physical changes. Again, it wasn't that obvious, but I checked myself in and said, you know, if if you don't think it's anything, that's great. Let's get a mammogram just to be sure. And so she ordered a diagnostic mammogram um, later, like in a couple of weeks. I went for my very first mammogram and lo and behold, I went from mammogram to um, an ultrasound and a biopsy all in the same day. Wow. So, so then there was the waiting period to get the results back from the biopsy. But at that point too, you kind of had this feeling that you know, something was going on. Yeah. It's not a nice experience at all. No. And then to your point too, they wanted to know like how far it spread, what was the staging. So immediately once we found out it was cancerous, there was a slew of tests that were being 
asked of me to go and get bone scans and CT scans and all sorts of MRIs just to know the extent to which the cancer Mm -hmm. could have potentially spread. And the brain. Exactly. Yes. So is that what happened to you too? Yes, because I had to go, I had to have um, an MRI, a CT scan and um, from my skull to below my knee, just to make sure that everything was what was contained and hadn't spread. It was a stage three. Wow. It was a stage three. So um, after discovering that, thank God it hadn't spread to the liver, to other nearby organs or to the bones or whatever, touch board. But my um, lymph nodes, of course, were compromised. So the lymph nodes, of course, were very, very enlarged. Do you know how many lymph nodes were infected? 11. 11 came back positive? Yes. Wow. Oh, yes. Yes. In one spot. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes, exactly. So that, that's exactly what happened. So you had the full lymph node, like auxiliary dissection for your lymph node area? Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, I had that as well. And three came back positive for me. Oh, three. So oh. that classified me as stage 2B because of the All number right. of lymph nodes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But it's scary. Like once it goes into like one or 24. That's you know, it. It's, it's rapid. It is. It's rapid and it metastasizes um, very rapidly. So that's what it could have been like, like the oncologist said, it could have been maybe three lymph nodes today. And then by another few days is about three times. You have about nine because mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it was an aggressive sort. Exactly. You know, so. Yeah. Do you suffer from any like lymphedema or any? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my, me too. my right arm. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Oh, I oh, hate yes, it. My right arm. <laughs> honestly, it's, it's, it's getting much better, my, my right arm. But I would tell you for, a year and a half, I was like a cow that was dragging herself everywhere. And even I had to wear clothes that were size bigger than my usual size because of the sleeves. Oh, me too. I had to get a whole new set of blazers because yeah. I couldn't put my arm in. I'm telling you, I couldn't put my, my all my, my blazers. I had to like, you know, I had to give out because... Yes. And then get um, usually a size um, six. I was now wearing size 10 blazers. Yes. And then you'd see it be dangling here on the arm that's still normal and then very fitted. (laughs) Yes. I know. I feel very uncomfortable. Very self-conscious about it. Very Um, Mm self-conscious. Up till today, I am still very comfortable. Usually you want to just get up and go wear your clothes and everything, but then you have to think twice. Oh, okay. How am I going to do this now? Which which of the clothes can I wear now? You know. Yes, yes. And for our listeners too who don't know what lymphedema is, my understanding of it. And please feel free to jump in with your experience. But lymphedema is a condition of one of the many side effects that we sign our lives away for when we sign these consent forms. But particularly when you have an auxiliary node dissection, you're disrupting the lymphatic system. You are literally taking out your lymph nodes and putting in what I visualize as a, like you have this bridge and you just like crumpled the bridge and now your lymphatic fluid can no longer flow on its own throughout your body. So you get this buildup of fluid. Absolutely. And then it can happen in the arm. It can happen in the legs, Yes, you know, uh, and all that where there's a buildup of fluids. That's the cause of uh, lymphedema. 
And then how do we arrest the situation? We can't arrest it. We can only manage it. You know, it would never go away. So a lot of people do use the sleeves or do massages or have acupuncture. There are a lot of ways um, a, a lot of people try to treat it. Yes. Are you doing any of those? I massage a lot. I do a lot of massaging. I don't do the acupuncture thing or whatever. No, I just make sure to have movement all the time. Yes, that's really that, that, That's just um, lift stuff and exercise and, and all that. And it's, it's getting better because it's not as swollen as it used to be. Mm-hmm. So at least um, we seem to be doing a good thing. <laughs> yes, so we'll keep it up. I know I go through ebbs and flows. I don't know about you and lymphedema, but for me, there tends to be like spikes where there's more fluid buildup and then there's weeks where it feels much more normal. So I've recently started seeing a lymphedema massage therapist to help with those lymphatic manual massages. And then she's taught me how to do wraps They're not ace bandages, but they look like ace bandages where you can kind of wrap and create a compression around your arm. So that's supposed to help with the fluid as well. But we did a measurement and she was able to calculate the volume in my one arm compared to my other. And there was a 22% increase in volume in my lymphatic 22% increase in volume in your arm. In my arm. The fluids, right? Exactly. Oh my goodness. So on one hand, what was the cause of that? Because of the lymphedema. So there was just that much buildup of, you know. Wow. That was a lot. I think so. And so on one hand, I'm glad I have this number because most people, they're not symmetrical from side to side, but there's a fluctuation of maybe two to 3%, not 22%. So when she told me 22%, on one hand, I was very happy because I was like, oh good, I'm not going crazy. Like there's a reason my blazer doesn't fit, (laughs) right? But then on the other hand, I'm like, wow, am I ever going to be able to decrease that number and get that to a much more manageable volume, right? Because as you said, once you are diagnosed with lymphedema, it's more of a management and there's no cure for it. So we're doing the wrapping, we're doing the massage. I'm hopeful, but at the same time too, it's just like, this is a real thing and I'm not losing my mind. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. What do you think about the um, lymphedema sleeves? I think they're important. Um, I try and wear one almost every day. It honestly depends on the outfit that I want to wear. Some days I don't wear it if it just does not Mm -hmm. work with my sweaters or my blouses. But I do try and wear it, especially when I'm doing physical activity. So any weightlifting or exercise, cardio. Oh, I also wear it every time I travel on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Yes, on an airplane, exactly. Exactly. Because of the pressure. Yes, 100%. So, my lymphedema therapist told me that the sleeve is, I don't want to use the word preventative, but she says, so because I'm already swollen, because I already have lymphedema, by wearing the sleeve, I'm preventing it from getting worse, but the sleeve alone isn't going to make the arm and the fluid smaller. I have to do the wrapping, I have to do the massage, I have to do the exercise. So it's more of just like a precaution that it doesn't get worse. Yeah. Did you hear something similar? Yes. Um, Oh, yes, exactly. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened to me. But it is uncomfortable, I swear. It is uncomfortable. Yes. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's always nice to meet people who can empathize with what we are going through. Oh, yes. It makes it, you know, alleviates all the 
the worries and, and, and all that, and we can actually communicate and understand. Because actually, uh, thank God for your wonderful show and for bringing me on board. This, you guys have done so much. And um, being a platform, a voice where, because a lot of people are going through it alone. Oh, exactly. It's like, okay, who do I talk to? Who do I, that's why these platforms we create are, are very necessary. Yes. Um, to try and give meaning to all the stuff we're going through. And we never talk about it most times because we don't want to bother people. But um, at least we have an outlet such as this to kind of voice out worries, fears, um, ask questions that probably normally you wouldn't even see on Google. <laughs> oh, exactly. No, these are oh, personal yeah. stories, personal experiences. I mean, we're not medical professionals, but we can provide our own personal experience of what's working for us. Mm-hmm. Well, experts by experience, we've gone down the alley, you know, we've, we've been burned. <laughs> <laughs> now, Grace, tell me a little bit too. So you have your own platform and YouTube channel that you are promoting and sharing resources and information as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, I actually started it when I was in between. I had just finished radiation, actually. I started it for a number of things. I had met so many people along the way who were looking for go-tos. You know, they were tired of the same old, same old, looking up online, this, that. They, they were looking at a couple of other programs, trying to find meaning to what they were going through. They weren't really getting the kind of answers to the questions that they were asking. And they wanted something more, what should I say, more real. Because a lot of people that uh, they were watching were making it very official, yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 so also another reason was I needed to kind of vent out, keep myself from being depressed. Because for six eight months you've been solo, you've been doing a lot of things yourself, you've been going through treatment, you've been a lot had been happening to you, and I started it to try and take that self-pity away and decided to create content and interview doctors, oncologists, um, other people that have been affected by cancer, caregivers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's been doing well. It's, it's been doing well. I'm happy with the feedback I get, the emails I receive, people wanting to come on the show. Oh, that's amazing. Tell their own experience. And um, yeah. I feel all the better for it. In fact, it's for me, I think it's a kind of healing process because it gives me a reason to be a voice for people and to share knowledge. I I don't have the knowledge. I can only tell you what I've experienced, but at least I can gather information from other people and say, hey, come tell my audience what you've been through or what you think or and all that. So yeah, it's 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 been doing pretty well. It's Cancer Convos with Grace B. And is on YouTube. I'm also on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we'll be sure to link to your um, YouTube channel in the show notes and let our viewers know how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. So, and how often do you um, produce videos? Is it like oh, weekly or monthly? Every month. Oh, every month. Okay. Month. Yes, yes, every month. Um, I did two, um, for the first time, I did um, two episodes in one month. And that was because it was Heart Health uh, Month last oh, month. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I needed to put that out 
because um, in the in recent weeks, I've lost two very good friends of mine, and um, that was due to silent heart attacks. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, for women, we know it's asymptomatic. For the men, they know what they're going through, but I don't know why for women, they never know that they're going to have a heart attack. They never even know what a heart attack is. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed a, a prominent cardiovascular specialist, disease specialist here in New York, who broke down. I'm very happy about that because a lot of people reached out to me and said, Grace, that episode was one of the best because it kind of broke down, or especially all that we women and the feedback I got was actually from women. Because sometimes a woman is going through a heart attack. It's not necessarily chest pain. It could be a tummy ache. It could be a, a lot of things. It could wow. be a, a, a headache. Yeah. And um, when he was breaking these things down, I'm like, oh, my God, really? Is this true? So many people, he was even saying, don't, um, high blood pressure doesn't bring about a heart attack. You understand? Other things bring about a heart attack, constriction, uh, arrhythmia, so many things that if if you don't pay attention to your body, these things come and go. They just come and go. So you think, oh, okay, I felt a bit of a flutter here. Nothing. No, go check it out. It's something, exactly. And this is such a great conversation to have. So we haven't actually talked much about heart health on breast cancer conversations, but you know, it is something that is incredibly important to let people know about because if you're going through chemotherapy or radiation, as you mentioned, there are so many links between the treatments that we're going through to treat the cancer that have these long-term risks, especially for really all young women, like all of us, right? Like even if you're like in your seventies or eighties, like we still want to live very long, full lives. So I don't think the science is caught up with what happens you know, everyone's quoting like the five-year lifespan or like the five-year survival rates, 10 years, 20 years. But really what happens 20 years from now when we're still alive and celebrating life every day and now we have to deal with the risks of heart disease. I heart think- disease as a result of cancer interventions. Correct. That's what he said. And I asked him on the show, I said, but why is this the case? Why is it that there's a correlation between cancer and um, the heart health? He said, because of especially adramacine. Adramacine is a very, very tough and toxic. I was on that um, one. Oh, yes, yes, me too. And that is terrible on the heart. They don't know why, but that's what it does. Yeah, the red devil, I think everyone calls it. The red it. devil. <laughs> yes. The red devil. Oh. Yeah, we had to go through that too. And it's hard too. I think now coming on out on the other side of going through active treatment, I'm now much more conscious and aware. And it's kind of that reflective piece too. Is like, even though I went through all of my treatment, I was diagnosed also at the end of 2016, but 2017 has kind of been my year of treatment and surgery and radiation. And we're in 2020 right now, and I'm still coming to terms with everything that we went through. And I'm now starting to also see those longer term side effects start to creep up. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if I had like more time to think or process as opposed to just rushing right into that first oncology appointment on Sunday morning or Monday morning, would I have had time to investigate alternatives? Like there's nothing against Western medicine. I'm very happy with all of my choices, but even just to come to my own terms of what options are available and out there versus what I'm dealing with now, I feel trapped in 
you know, a postmenopausal elderly woman with oh, osteoporosis. Oh, yes, all of us. Yes. Oh, yes. That creeps up that, you know, um, your periods just stop. Mm-hmm. Stop for the time that I, I mean, I'm over 50, so my periods should stop. But it stopped for a while and then it came back. Okay. And I'm, I'm seeing my periods now. Can you imagine that? Oh, my gosh. Why is that? Did something change? Who knows? I was telling my doctor and he was, okay, uh, maybe you should have um, a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, let's be serious here. Are you for real? (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's coming. So what the hell? You might as well take advantage. So it it was a kind of humor. But like you rightly said, yes, when you're rushing through treatment, you never really take time to stop. You want to just get everything going. And then, of course, just like me, 2016 was my year of diagnosis. The whole of 2017 was the year I was trying to get treated and healed. And then afterwards, I now saw that, oh, yes, it's these side effects they're talking about is sometimes I have pain in my bones. I still have those tingling sensations because of we have our laptops and we can work. But even to write sometimes. So my doctor was saying, you have to use a pen and come back with learning how to write. So it was like starting to write all over again because your feelings are being affected. You understand all, all your motors are being affected. Your, yes. the, your, your immune system too has been partially damaged. Let's, it's not a nice word, but let's put it that way. We're just being strong to try and say, oh no, nothing is, nothing is happening to us. But a lot is going down. A lot is going down. But we just we just say, okay, if we could go through chemo and radiation and a surgery, then there's nothing we can't fight. So right, exactly. let's fight whatever comes. <laughs> but yeah. you raise a really great point too that I want to linger on just a little bit because I find myself kind of pushing under the rug or under the pillow, like these symptoms that I'm like, oh, okay, there's a little tingling and numbness, but like, you know, maybe my hand just fell asleep. I'm almost in denial that it's because of the chemotherapy drugs that we're on. And we know that neuropathy is a longer term side effect. And someone told me once that I was going through what they call doctor fatigue because I am so sick of going to the hospital. I am so sick of follow-up appointments and talking to my doctors that the last thing that I want to do is tell them about a symptom that is going to trigger more and more tests. More, exactly. <laughs> I, I try to avoid it. I mean, last week or yeah, last two weeks I was at the doctors and I was just there looking at people who were starting their own treatment. And I'm like, oh my God, to go through this again, you know, I almost got up and left. I didn't want to see my doctor, but I had to have my appointment. It's um, no, yeah. It's not. It's not fatigue. It's it's the side effects for real. We, yes. we go through that. Yeah, I think yeah, so. So it's important that. to like acknowledge what we're experiencing. Yes. Write it down, and then you know, not to be shy to bring it up when you're ready to bring it up with your doctors, because it could there could be help out there too. I know a lot of people are on. I'm no longer on gabapentin, but I know a lot of people who are taking gabapentin to help with some of the neuropathy or different types of treatments if they're going through like anxiety or depression, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's not to say that we have to suffer through it. I didn't want to start putting more things into my body, Laura. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I was like, okay, um, there were drugs and medicines available for all sorts of things. But I just said, no, not for neuro. The neuropathy. No, that's okay. 
We already took Benadryl before. We already took all that. Let's see where this will go. And sometimes I think that also when we dwell on it, we kind of make it very, very, um, should I say real? Is that the right word? Yeah, because you bring it to realization. You're not, yeah. you're, you're not oh, oh, yeah, have the tingling and everything. But we had the tingling then. And this is like elongated up till now. So, yeah, I, I didn't want to take any drugs and everything. Because when I told my doctor, I said, I'm still, he said, um, your side effects, what's happening? I said, I'm still having the usual, my feet, still having the tingling, still feeling cold when I'm hot. And your body temperature is different. Your arms are one, temp- one degree, your feet are another degree. Okay. <laughs> oh my <laughs> so God. It's true. So true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, heck, I'm going, I'm just going to deal with it. I don't want any more medicines. Are you sure? Well, let's write CVS. I said, no, <laughs> if I feel cold, I'll dip my feet in warm water or something. Exactly. And, you know, just chill. I know everyone asked me how I'm like managing. So my, my cancer was hormonal responsive. And so I'm on letrozole, which is one of the aromatase inhibitors to kind of prevent the cancer from coming back, knock on wood. And, you know, the doctor's like, oh, so how are you doing with the hot flashes? You know, there's stuff we can prescribe to help. And at this point, I'm like, I still get them. They drive me crazy, but I'm embracing them. Like there's nothing else I can do. Like Absolutely. this is just now, like I put on makeup, I get ready for work. And on the drive between my house and work, I am sweating mm-hmm. and wiping all the makeup off of my face. Oh, yes. And I it's mean, just a thing. Like, it's just what I do now. <laughs> yeah, it's normal. We embrace it. Yes. That's, that's the right word. Embrace it mm-hmm. that, you, that you said there. Yeah, there's nothing we can do. We're still on this side of the divide. Exactly. So we thank God for still keeping us here. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. So how are you doing now? So with stage three, I know that's any stage is pretty scary. Are you, was your cancer hormonally driven also? Oh yeah. Stage three had, had to have my, my mastectomy and um, also um, of course the lymph nodes were removed and everything because they, they couldn't save the breast um, it had been compromised. But right now everything is okay. Yeah. Um, have to balance ourselves. So we got, um, um, what did they call it now? Uh, one of these um, breast forms, you know, oh, to okay. kind of like yeah, a to, prosthetic. The, uh, yeah. Okay. Like the lady said, no, 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 no. I, I love the lady that gave it to me. She said, no, don't call it prosthetic. Call it a breast form. <laughs> <laughs> Just please Make get the vernacular correct. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, call it a breast form. So I said, okay, I, I wanted to say prosthetic, but I, I was remembering her now. She, she was my first guest on my show. She's awesome. Oh, awesome. So that's 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 um, what I um, I use now and, and all that. Yeah, for, for balance, because of course, if you don't have that, you're not balanced, right? Exactly. So you opted not to have reconstruction. You want to no, go? No, no, no. Yeah. We've been through so much for yes. me. Right. I know a lot of friends that went straight into reconstruction, but I'm like, what I've already been through, I I don't want to go through that. I, I don't want to be in bed for another how many months to get healed. I don't want to, I feel that God is giving me another chance. I want to be out there. I want to do so many things. I don't want to be constrained by having, you know, so for me, I'm like, hey, we'll just go with the tide. Yeah, you know, and, that's um, amazing. Let's see what happens. Wonderful. 
Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been such an informative and lively conversation. I am so glad like to spend this hour with you. Oh, I'm so happy you invited me. I'm really, really happy. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And are you right in New York City or where in New York are you? Yes, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm oh, in Brooklyn. okay. Great. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to come down and visit and finally meet in person. You must, honestly, you know. Are you going to any conferences or, or, or whatever? You know, we were supposed to actually. And now with the coronavirus, we're kind of rethinking what that strategy is going to look like. We're doing a lot more like virtual meetups and virtual online like webinars. But I will keep you posted if we end up traveling. Please do so we can meet up and, and, and all that. And your webinars as well. Um, so that um, I can join. Yes, absolutely. And likewise, if you're ever looking for another guest on your YouTube channel, like please keep me in mind. I am going to invite you. Yes. I'm going to invite you. So get ready. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to I'm definitely I'm, you're gonna I'm gonna have you on. You're doing such an amazing job and I, I really feel honored likewise. that you invited me. Yeah, these are good connections. I appreciate Honestly, it. We can help each thank other. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have Bless a great you, night. Right. Thank you. And you too, dear. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to today's episode. We release episodes each week, typically on Mondays. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. We love hearing from you. Please remember that the content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in our podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our workplaces. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Until next time, keep on thriving. Thank you.